forest and the trees, global and local perspectives on the environment with your host, Melinda Tuhus. Well, this is Black History Month. And even though I don't restrict my African-American visitors and interviewees to the month of February, I am really happy to have two young African-American women with me today um, who are going to be talking about their the work they do and you know how they see themselves in the broader environmental or climate movement. So stay tuned. Okay, so we have two people here I'm going to introduce. Um, Taylor Mays is uh, someone I met a few years ago doing something called Transit Equity Day, and I'm going to let uh, Taylor say more about that. And Jasmine Peel works for, oh, so Taylor uh, works with um, the Connecticut Roundtable on Climate and Jobs. And Jasmine Peel works with uh, Connecticut Climate Action Network. And I met Jasmine when um, I got involved in something called, uh, is it Renew Connecticut or Connecticut Renew is one of those you're going to tell us, okay. Um, so let's let's just get started. Uh, you know, Taylor, why don't you start? Just uh, introduce yourself and how you know how you sort of see yourself in this movement that we're in here. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on your show. First of all, I'm really happy to be a part of it. It sounds wonderful. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I got involved in the environmental movement. In college, I studied environmental studies and political science at the University of Connecticut. Um, and I didn't really know much about climate change or the environmental movement prior to that. Um, but through my political science side, I really focused on um, black political thought, African-American history. And so the natural kind of intersection that formed was environmental justice. So that was kind of my passion coming out of college. Um, and so I quickly landed this job at the Connecticut Roundtable on Climate and Jobs, whose mission is to build alliances with diverse constituencies. And our main constituencies are the labor movement, um, religious institutions, and environmental groups. So it's a really cool niche to explore the environmental movement through. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, I do communications and field organizing um, and one project that I more recently have been doing is um, organizing a group called the Black Environmental Activist Movement. So that's been really exciting and another way for me to extend my passion for environmental justice. Um, but I'll talk more, we could talk more about the different projects I'm working on, like Trans Equity Day, Offshore Wind, Advocacy, probably later. <laughs> yeah, great. I'm very interested to hear about all that. Yeah, so Jasmine, I, I met you more recently, and um, yeah, I this uh, organizing around uh, Connecticut Renews is very um, interesting to me, and I I would be I would like to hear sort of you know your your take on that and and sort of how you got into the job that you're in. My journey here was a little uh, twists and turns, ups and downs. I. Um, started at UConn just like Taylor and I majored in urban and community studies. I was really interested in um, food policy at first <clears throat> excuse me, until I um, realized that there are so many intersections that cause issues like food insecurity 
and um, increased vulnerabilities for um, specific neighborhoods based off of um, different um, intersections of a person's life. So um, in order to like, like really delve into those issues, I became interested in environmental justice and environmental racism and specifically how cities and environments can be shaped to um, fit the needs of people who are experiencing um, more um, difficulties than the average person and um, what the implications of that might be. Um, I firmly believe that someone's environment is not only encompassing of their natural environment, but also the built and the resources available as well as the people you have access to. It's not just um, something that is two-dimensional, it's very multifaceted and I'm very excited to um, continue my research on it. And we're CT Renews, we're working on um, building a just more equitable Connecticut with um, different policy areas, including clean air and water, food justice, and more recently green justice zones, which I've been working on um, with a couple um, people from my organization, some other organizers, and uh, I could talk more about that later. But um, yeah, happy to be here. I'm also a member of XCOM Sierra Club, Connecticut. Jasmine, the, the green justice zones, talk about that because, um, you know, when you talk about food justice or transportation or some of these, or housing, some of these other things that, that seem sort of clear cut, like, you know, I sort of have an idea of what those are, but what, what are green justice zones? So green justice zones is kind of um, something that is a bill, but it's more like an initiative. It originally came out of um, Rhode Island and it was initiated by our partners in um, Providence, a part of our Renew New England coalition. And it's basically a initiative that would lead to funding in black communities for remediation product projects related to climate change and um, city infrastructure. And, um, sort of um, weatherization projects for increased, um, for, for neighborhoods with increased vulnerability. So I'm gonna say that word a lot, by the way. <laughs> it's basically um, helping communities to build um, community powder, power and every project that is um, going, to be is going to be initiated in that community is gonna be specific and tailored to their needs and decided by them. And it's aimed to create um, jobs. It's aimed to create um, um, some sort of grassroots community um, initiative that would, um, it would in a way lead to other projects in the city. Like it would become a designated zone for um, each city that has those issues. Um, and I might not be explaining it the right way, but that's basically what it is. Okay, and 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 so, and that that's a piece of Connecticut Renews is going to be pursuing that as okay, okay, with one with the okay. other things, okay. It has a bill uh, number now, it's, um, HB uh, fifty eight seventeen, and we have it um, championed by Jack Hennessy and David Michelle, as well as Rep um, Jay Reyes from Waterbury. Okay, wonderful. That's so that's progress. I know 
Lots, mo the majority, I guess the vast majority of bills introduced don't make it into law by the end of the session, but it's important to get started. A lot of times it takes more than one, one year to, to push something through. So um, yeah, Taylor, you, you mentioned several things and I'd like you to elaborate on all of them a little bit. Um, and the thing you said, the black environmental activist movement act yeah now did you say you started that or you you joined it or yeah i can talk a little bit about that yeah how that formed yeah um so basically i think coming out of college i knew that the environmental field was going to be mostly a white space that's just kind of how it was in my studies like a lot of my classes were um we learned about environmental perspectives from white scholars so i kind of got the gist of how it was going to be when I graduated, but it was still kind of frustrating. And every time I went to different environmental events, um, there was always like maybe one other black person in the room and we would always have this dialogue, like it's so important that you're here and um, we need more of each other in this space. And so I wanted to form, cause I kept having that interaction over and over again. So I wanted to form a network where, cause I know that there are black people in the environmental movement, we're just kind of siloed each in our different organizations. So I wanted to build something, even if it was really simple, where we could connect and know who our allies are in the state, who's out there that cares about the black community um, and as it pertains to the environment and in general. Um, and so I began organizing and this is something that uh, John Humphreys supported when he was still the executive director. He wanted me to also, he was supportive of me building um, a similar climate justice network. It, it was my decision to make it black focused. And I think um, it will remain that way. I think eventually it will become open for, um, it might have like a, it might have a closed open format where certain things are closed just to the black community. And then we have certain meetings and events that are open to all like multicultural groups of people. Um, but that's kind of how it started. And I was doing this organizing work probably for a year, just connecting with people one-on-one -on -one, um, across the state of Connecticut. So New London, Bridgeport, um, Hartford area, New Haven County. Um, Waterbury is an area that I'm, I'm lacking, uh, but all the major cities. And yeah, we have about probably like 25 members right now. And we've met probably about four or five times and we're kind of just in the building stages right now. We've talked a lot about um, our group values, how we want to conduct ourselves, the mission um, and our vision, like what we want to see change. So it's been really exciting. Well, that sounds really like a really critical thing. I'm just going to reintroduce you uh, both for a minute. Um, I'm, I'm speaking with Taylor Mays and Jasmine Peel, who are two young African-American environmental climate justice advocates, uh, activists in, in Connecticut. And um, one thing I wanted to um, follow up on because you sort of segue right into this and I, uh, Taylor, and I'd like to hear both of your responses. Like you said, you're mostly in white spaces when you're in environmental groups. And, you know, historically the environmental movement was not only white spaces, but very racist spaces. I mean, like really, overtly racist spaces and anti-indigenous spaces and especially in the big 10 you know like sierra club and uh greenpeace and the wilderness society those really well-known ones that people think of when they think of environmental organizations but at the same time there's always been 
you know, uh, grassroots opposition to, and you know, to environmentally destructive processes and, uh, you know, construction that's been going on and, and which goes on in, you know, poor and especially people of color communities. So that's been going on and what was called, you know, environmental justice and now is kind of at least part, part of that movement has kind of morphed into what we call climate justice um, as people are fighting things like, you know, pipelines and power plants. Um, and so I'd like you, if you could both talk about, I mean, you kind of did already, Taylor, but maybe even just directly respond to how you see yourself in this landscape of, you know, mostly white, you know, groups that have most of the money and they're also mostly, well, not anymore, but for many, many decades, they were mostly male also. Um, and, you know, positioning yourself between that and, you know, these grassroots groups that usually are very scrappy, meaning they don't have much money and, you know, are, are fighting, uh, you know, governmental and, and private capitalist uh, enterprises in their communities. So, if you could both respond, Jasmine, maybe you could start. And then if you have anything else to add, Taylor, because you kind of talked about that a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I have um, come across the environmental justice, well, in climate justice gatekeeping, if you will. Um, I first experienced it while I was at school. Um, I went to the stores campus at UConn and there were a lot of um, environmental um, activists there. Um, I did see a lot that looked like me, but as far as scholarship and readings, it, um, I didn't feel represented always through um, working, like the priorities, like even acknowledging that Black people and um, people with um, one disabilities and Indigenous people and um, Black and um, Indigenous people of color are the first to experience the effects of climate change. And not only in this country, but on a global scale, see a level rise might not be as bad as it is here in other countries and other countries that will be underwater um, 10, year, 10, 20, 30 years from now. It's um, the sense of urgency for people who um, are the first to experience these effects was just lacking. And um, within the last year with all the um, black, um, black movements um, for um, with protests and people who are becoming awake to these issues, I have seen a shift in people being able to, um, to voice um, what they have the right to voice as far as people not being heard and people also um, being put to the bottom of the conversation and people not being allowed to uh, have space, just hold space. And um, I've seen that change. I mean, it, we have a lot to go, but I, um, I definitely feel that this is a time for black environmentalists because um, there's so many people who are doing amazing work like Taylor who take the initiative to make that space for people to just talk about um, what affects us in our communities, in our day-to-day -day, and what we wanna see change, whether that be changes to city structures, whether it be changes to urban forestry, um, all things that affect people who um, 
have been left out of the climate justice conversation in the past. Wow, yeah. Yeah, Taylor, do you want to add anything to what you said before about where you see yourself in this landscape? Yeah, no, I think what Jasmine said is spot on. Like that was ex pretty much exactly what I wanted to say. I, I wanted to speak about how I do feel like the reason why um, we haven't been really there in the in the scholarly world coming out of you know um, college, why we, we why we didn't see ourselves is because a lot of the times our environmental movement doesn't look like the traditional environmental movement. It looks like um, having food pantries or like, it looks like fair housing. Like it looks like it's just, it's not, it's not conservation. It's not always, I mean, conservation, urban forests are a big issue that I, I'm passionate about as well, but it's not always that. So I think that's why we haven't seen ourselves reflected in those spaces. And I, I think, I agree with Jasmine, there's a big push now um, to shift that. Like we, we, people want to see like different issues and different things, different intersections of the climate movement intersect with different other social justice issues. And I think that's where you'll see more black people come into play. For sure. yeah, and you've mentioned, both of you mentioned urban forestry, and I'm very passionate about that too. So um, would one of you uh, just elaborate a little bit? What, what do you mean when you say urban forestry? I think some people might not, some of our listeners might not know exactly what you mean. Do you want to? Yeah, so my understanding is like, it just means forests that have some geography in cities, which is not typical, but um, one big movement happening in Connecticut is uh, the push to protect the Remington Woods, which is um, just outside. It's in Fairfield County, but it's, I think part of it is in Bridgeport. So that's why it's really important. And I think it's one of the only urban forests in Connecticut. So again, it's just, it's a rarity and um, it has, uh, obviously trees have an, 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 what's it called when you can't calculate the cost? That's that's what the, the services that the trees provide to the city in terms of cleaning the air and creating those green spaces. So they're really valuable, but they just get ripped up and developed. And um, I think that they get targeted because, sorry, there's a siren going by. <laughs> I think that those areas get targeted because the people are the least, are the most vulnerable and have the least amount of time to fight back against those things. So it's, it's frustrating, but important issue. Mm -hmm. Jasmine, did you want to add anything or is that pretty much what your understanding is too? Yeah, it's, that's pretty much what I was thinking. And um, basically um, people in the city need trees the most. We need, there's increased asthma rates for people, you know, transportation and greenhouse gases all of that's absorbed by the trees. So if there's no urban space, I mean, green spaces and urban spaces, there's gonna be increased asthma rates, there's gonna be increased uh, respiratory issues for children and black children are already um, at risk more than the average child for asthma and respiratory issues just by um, living in environmental justice um, neighborhoods more prevalent than others. So they're, they're super important and it would be great if people really understood that. Right, right. Yeah, I think that both of those are what I was thinking is, um, you know, urban forests, if you can actually have, you know, some acreage that is set aside and not developed, but also just the importance of street trees. And we are losing so many street trees. I moved to this neighborhood 25 years ago 
because I was a refugee from another neighborhood that had been a direct hit from a tornado and took down all our trees. So then over the years we've been here, we, there's no street trees left on my street. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's very dis disturbing to me. I'm, I'm sad, but um, you know, the street trees especially just are so abused by, you know, in so many ways by, you know, the elements and, and being, you know, hit by plows like the plows they were going by with the snow we were talking about earlier and all kinds of things so it's it's really a struggle for them but and i just want to add too like aesthetically they make a big difference like i i'm interested we're both interested in urban planning eventually and i think the aesthetic uh piece of environment is really important because it creates a sense of pride in where you live like having these green spaces making you feel healthy and alive and everything is also like it contributes to mental health and everything so yeah yeah mental health as much as anything else i think is you know just trees are really really important for that yeah so <laughs> let, let me reintroduce you um again uh i'm speaking with uh taylor mays and jasmine peel who are two young african-american uh, environmental and climate activists in Connecticut. And this always happens in my show. We're going to run out of time before we know it. So I wanted to um, just give each of you a chance to talk a little more about some of the specific projects that you're working on. You mentioned a few right in the beginning, Taylor, and just, uh, yeah. And then also we can uh, have Jasmine do that too. You want to start, Taylor? Yeah. So um, we're actually working, and I don't have the bill number. I don't even think our bill has a bill number, but we're doing with the round through the round table, we're doing a lot of advocacy around um, good jobs and good wages. That's I think what we've been, what we, the language we've been using um, and just making sure that the renewable energy jobs that come to Connecticut have fair wages and um, good working conditions and good benefits. Um, so for example, offshore wind was one of our primary projects where we did that advocacy work. Um, and my former director, John Humphreys, did a lot of work advocating for um, community benefit agreements and prevailing wage. So uh, I think what we're trying to advocate for now in this upcoming legislative session is to ensure that all renewable energy projects that come to the state have those standards, uh, which I think is really important. And I think if we take it a step beyond that, um, it's making sure a portion of those jobs are reserved to minority communities. Um, and that you could do it any number of ways for women, for veterans, it could be for minority groups. Um, so that's kind of some of the, that's the project I'm primarily working on right now. And I, I'm taking on the communications piece. So it's a lot of like infographics, newsletters, action alerts, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and the other project that we just finished up was Transit Equity Day, which was really, really, uh, it's one of my favorite initiatives, which I've talked to you about before, Melinda, but. Um, Mine too. Yeah, it, yeah, it's so good. Um, it's a good diverse coalition of folks having like civil rights groups because it's on Rosa Parks birthday. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so, so special. Um, and then we have, um, the labor union. So we have the agglomerated transit union always participates. And then we have the environmentalists. So it's just a really cool diverse group to work with. And this intersection is really cool. Um, and so we had that. And I, I hope that we continue to have, like I told um, Sam, who's one of the lead organizers for Transit Equity Day as well with the Sierra Club. 
I told her that like I'd be interested in organizing more forums because we had for this past Transit Equity Day since it was virtual the forum um, we had the legislators come on and have a dialogue with um, the attendees and as well as the panelists so I, I think that was easy enough to put together and I think we should have more of them. And I think that the legislators that were there really appreciated it. Um, getting to talk with people like Veronica Shavers with ATU or Dottie Green with the Rosa Parks Legacy Group. I think we should have that and have them be able to continue having those dialogues. But yeah, that's a, that's a really cool project as well. Yeah, it really is one of my favorite things to do too. And I, I hope we'll be able to be in person again next year, I hope. Um, so yeah, Jasmine, um, tell us what you're interested in telling us, but I hope you would say a little more about, um, you know, Connecticut Renews as part of what you're going to tell us about. Yes, sure. That's um, one of my main focuses right now. Um, so I mentioned that we have our Green um, Justice Zones bill. We're also doing a housing bill, which would prioritize retrofitting in low-income um, black and brown communities. And um, also um, solar paneling, which would um, be in urban, in urban environments for the same reason to um, offset those sort of um, bad climate-inducing um, energy causes. So. Um, we're working on that for housing as well as a food justice bill, which would um, establish land trusts in um, spaces and, um, and on those land trusts, they would do um, some sort of um, food um, co-ops and um, like some sort of, I'm still, I'm still learning about it, obviously. Um, our organizer, Angel Serrano, is, or, um, is leading that front. But it's basically somewhere where people can come and receive healthy food that is in a way subsidized and at a reduced cost. And it would we're trying to get it to be a Connecticut-wide thing, but we're still in the beginning in the writing stages. We, I believe we have a build number, but the, um, it's I kind of blink at the moment. We're still drafting the language. And then we're also working on um, a clean air and water bill as well as um, a healthcare bill. Um, but my main focus is on the um, green justice zones because um, it has so many different elements. It has um, community responsibility and community um, power and, and um, it will lead to um, healthier communities. They wouldn't be allowed to be polluting in those neighborhoods because all pollution causing entities would have to stop altogether they wouldn't be allowed in those designated zones and it really protects people who previously weren't even consulted before these um, pollution causing sources were put into their neighborhoods now they have that power to say no more we don't want this here and i feel like that's very important in terms of environmental justice because people have been left out of that conversation and those issues affect them the most and first so um, that's maybe my that's my main focus. Um, Monica Huertas out of Pro, um, Providence kind of um, gave a speech the other day that was like really powerful. She um, she was experiencing homelessness and other issues, and she got herself together. She had she got her kids and herself to a house, and she was so excited. 
she wanted to start farming. She wanted to start growing her fruits and vegetables until she found out that she couldn't do any of that because her soil was so polluted and she wasn't able to do any of the things that she had dreamed of. So her and um, um, her coalition started this Green Justice Zones to address issues like, such as that. So it um, it's really inspiring. So that's kind of been what I focus on. Sorry, I know we're rushed for time. <laughs> right, yeah. So yeah, I'm glad you, I, I hope I can get that story in because um, we are running out of time, but uh, it's, it is, it's really illustrative. So yes, we're out of time. And I want to thank my guest today, um, Jasmine Peel uh, with Connecticut Citizens Action Group and Taylor Mays with the Connecticut Roundtable on Climate and Jobs. Anyway, yeah, I wish we had more time to talk, but maybe we will do this again or, you know, either for, for broadcast or not. I'd, I'd love to hear more. Thanks, Melinda. <laughs> okay, Thank great. You, Melinda. Yeah, great to see you. Take care. We'll, we'll be seeing each other again soon, I'm sure. Definitely. Enjoy yeah, the day. Have a nice day. Yeah, you too. Bye. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Forest and the Trees, global and local perspectives on the environment with your host, Melinda Tuhus. Tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9.30 a.m. here on WPKN 89.5 FM for more environmental news you can use.